0: CHAPTER twelve OF KILMENY OF THE ORCHARD.--THis is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox dot org. Recording by Joan Freeman.--KILMENY OF THE ORCHARD by Lucy Maud Montgomery.--CHAPTER twelve A Prisoner of Love.--When Eric betook himself to the orchard the next evening, he had to admit that he felt rather nervous. He did not know how the Gordons would receive him. "'and certainly the reports he had heard of them "'were not encouraging, to say the least of it. "'Even Mrs. Williamson, "'when he had told her where he was going, "'seemed to look upon him "'as one bent on bearding a lion in his den. "'I do hope they won't be very uncivil to you, master,' "'was the best she could say. "'He expected Kilmeny to be in the orchard before him, "'for he had been delayed by a call from one of the trustees. "'But she was nowhere to be seen.' he walked across it to the wild cherry lane but at its entrance he stopped short in sudden dismay neil gordon had stepped from behind the trees and stood confronting him with blazing eyes and lips which writhed in emotion so great that at first it prevented him from speaking with a thrill of dismay eric instantly understood what must have taken place neil had discovered that he and kilmeny had been meeting in the orchard and beyond doubt had carried that tale to janet and thomas gordon he realized how unfortunate it was that this should have happened before he had had time to make his own explanation it would probably prejudice kilmeny's guardians still further against him at this point in his thoughts neil's pent-up passion suddenly found vent in a burst of wild words so you've come to meet her again but she isn't here you'll never see her again i hate you i hate you i hate you his voice rose to a shrill scream he took a furious step nearer eric as if he would attack him eric looked steadily in his eyes with a calm defiance "'before which his wild passion broke like foam on a rock. "'So you have been making trouble for Kilmeny, Neil, have you?' "'said Eric contemptuously. "'I suppose you have been playing the spy, "'and I suppose that you have told her uncle and aunt "'that she has been meeting me here. "'Well, you have saved me the trouble of doing it, that is all. "'I was going to tell them myself to-night. "'I don't know what your motive in doing this has been.' was it jealousy of me? Or have you done it out of malice to Kilmeny?' His contempt cowed Neil more effectually than any display of anger could have done. "'Never you mind why I did it,' he muttered sullenly. "'What I did or why I did it is no business of yours. And you have no business to come sneaking around here either. Kilmeny won't meet you here again.' she will meet me in her own home then said eric sternly neil in behaving as you have done you have shown yourself to be a very foolish undisciplined boy i am going straightway to kilmeny's uncle and aunt to explain everything neil sprang forward in his path no no go away he implored wildly oh sir oh mr marshall please go away i'll do anything for you if you will i love kilmeny "'I've loved her all my life. "'I'd give my life for her. "'I can't have you coming here to steal her from me. "'If you do, I'll kill you. "'I wanted to kill you last night when I saw you kiss her. "'Oh, yes, I saw you. "'I was watching, spying, if you like. "'I don't care what you call it. "'I had followed her. "'I suspected something. "'She was so different, so changed. "'She never would wear the flowers I picked for her any more. "'She seemed to forget I was there.' i knew something had come between us and it was you curse you oh i'll make you sorry for it he was working himself up into a fury again the untamed fury of the italian peasant thwarted in his heart's desire it overrode all the restraint of his training and environment eric amid all his anger and annoyance felt a thrill of pity for him neil gordon was only a boy still and he was miserable and beside himself neil "'Listen to me,' he said quietly. "'You are talking very foolishly. "'It is not for you to say who shall or shall not be Kilmeny's friend. "'Now, you may just as well control yourself and go home like a decent fellow. "'I am not at all frightened by your threats, "'and I shall know how to deal with you if you persist in interfering with me "'or persecuting Kilmeny. "'I am not the sort of person to put up with that, my lad.' The restrained power in his tone and look cowed Neil. The latter turned sullenly away with another muttered curse and plunged into the shadow of the firs. Eric, not a little ruffled under all his external composure by this most unexpected and unpleasant encounter, pursued his way along the lane which wound on by the belt of woodland in twist and curve to the Gordon homestead his heart beat as he thought of Kilmeny. What might she not be suffering? Doubtless Neil had given a very exaggerated and distorted account of what he had seen. And probably her dour relations were very angry with her, poor child. Anxious to avert their wrath as soon as might be, he hurried on, almost forgetting his meeting with Neil. THE THREATS OF THE LATTER DID NOT TROUBLE HIM AT ALL. HE THOUGHT THE ANGRY OUTBURST OF A JEALOUS BOY MATTERED BUT LITTLE. WHAT DID MATTER WAS THAT Kilmeny WAS IN TROUBLE, WHICH HIS HEEDLESSNESS HAD BROUGHT UPON HER. PRESENTLY HE FOUND HIMSELF BEFORE THE GORDON HOUSE. IT WAS AN OLD BUILDING WITH SHARP eaves AND DORMER WINDOWS. ITS SHINGLES STAINED A DARK GRAY BY LONG EXPOSURE TO WIND AND WEATHER. FADED GREEN SHUTTERS HUNG ON THE WINDOWS OF THE LOWER STORY behind it grew a thick wood of spruces. The little yard in front of it was grassy and prim and flowerless. But over the low front door a luxuriant, early-flowering rose-vine clamoured, in a riot of blood-red blossom which contrasted strangely with the general bareness of its surroundings. It seemed to fling itself over the grim old house, as if intent on bombarding it with an alien life and joyousness. Eric knocked at the door, wondering if it might be possible that Kilmeny should come to it. "'But a moment later it was opened by an elderly woman, a woman of rigid lines from the hem of her lank, dark-print dress to the crown of her head, covered with black hair which, despite its few grey threads, was still thick and luxuriant. "'She had a long, pale face, somewhat worn and wrinkled, but possessing a certain harsh comeliness of feature, which neither age nor wrinkles had quite destroyed.' AND HER DEEP-SET, LIGHT-GRAY EYES WERE NOT DEVOID OF SUGGESTED KINDLINESS, ALTHOUGH THEY NOW SURVEYED ERIC WITH AN UNCONCEALED HOSTILITY. HER FIGURE IN ITS MERCILESS DRESS WAS VERY ANGULAR, YET THERE WAS ABOUT HER A DIGNITY OF CARRIAGE AND MANNER WHICH ERIC LIKED. IN ANY CASE, HE PREFERRED HER UNSMILING DOURNESS TO VULGAR garrulity. HE LIFTED HIS HAT. "'Have I the honour of speaking to Miss Gordon?' he asked. "'I am Janet Gordon,' said the woman stiffly. "'Then I wish to talk with you and your brother.' "'Come in.' She stepped aside and motioned him to a low brown door opening on the right. "'Go in and sit down. I'll call Thomas,' she said coldly as she walked out through the hall. Eric walked into the parlour and sat down as bidden he found himself in the most old-fashioned room he had ever seen. The solidly made chairs and tables of some wood grown dark and polished with age made even Mrs. Williamson's parlour set of horsehair seem extravagantly modern by contrast. The painted floor was covered with round braided rugs. On the centre table was a lamp, a Bible, and some theological volumes contemporary with the square-runged furniture the walls, wainscoted halfway up in wood and covered for the rest with a dark diamond-patterned paper, were hung with faded engravings, mostly of clerical-looking, bewigged parsonages in gowns and bands. But over the high, undecorated black mantelpiece, in a ruddy glow of sunset light striking through the window, hung one which caught and held Eric's attention to the exclusion of everything else. It was the enlarged, crayon photograph of a young girl, and in spite of the crudity of execution, it was easily the center of interest in the room. Eric at once guessed that this must be the picture of Margaret Gordon, for, although quite unlike Kilmeny's sensitive-spirited face in general, there was a subtle, unmistakable resemblance about brow and chin. The pictured face was a very handsome one, suggestive of velvety dark eyes and vivid colouring. But it was its expression rather than its beauty which fascinated Eric. Never had he seen a countenance indicative of a more intense and stubborn will-power. Margaret Gordon was dead and buried. The picture was a cheap and inartistic production in an impossible frame of gilt and plush. Yet the vitality in that face dominated its surroundings still." What then must have been the power of such a personality in life? Eric realized that this woman could and would have done whatsoever she willed, unflinchingly and unrelentingly. She could stamp her desire on everything and everybody about her, molding them to her wish and will, in their own despite and in defiance of all the resistance they might make. Many things in Kilmeny's upbringing and temperament became clear to him. "'If that woman had told me I was ugly, I should have believed her,' he thought. "'I, even though I had a mirror to contradict her, "'I should never have dreamed of disputing or questioning anything she might have said. "'The strange power in her face is almost uncanny, "'peering out as it does from a mask of beauty and youthful curves.' pride and stubbornness are its salient characteristics. Well, Kilmeny does not at all resemble her mother in expression, and only very slightly in feature. His reflections were interrupted by the entrance of Thomas and Janet Gordon. The latter had evidently been called from his work. He nodded without speaking, and the two sat gravely down before Eric. "'I have come to see you with regard to your niece, Mr. Gordon,' he said abruptly, realizing that there would be small use in beating about the bush with this grim pair. "'I met your—I met Neil Gordon in the Connors' orchard, and I found that he has told you that I have been meeting Kilmeny there.' He paused. Thomas Gordon nodded again, but he did not speak, and he did not remove his steady, piercing eyes from the young man's flushed countenance. Janet still sat in a sort of expectant, immovability.' "'I fear that you have formed an unfavourable opinion of me on this account, Mr. Gordon,' Eric went on, "'but I hardly think I deserve it. I can explain the matter if you will allow me. I met your niece accidentally in the orchard three weeks ago, and heard her play. I thought her music very wonderful, and I fell into the habit of coming to the orchard in the evenings to hear it. I had no thought of harming her in any way, Mr. Gordon.' I thought of her as a mere child, and a child who was doubly sacred because of her affliction. But recently I—I—it occurred to me that I was not behaving quite honourably in encouraging her to meet me thus. Yesterday evening I asked her to bring me here and introduce me to you and her aunt. We would have come then if you had been at home. As you were not, we arranged to come to-night. I hope you will not refuse me the privilege. "'Of seeing your niece, Mr. Gordon,' said Eric eagerly, "'I ask you to allow me to visit her here. "'But I do not ask you to receive me as a friend "'on my own recommendations only. "'I will give you references, "'men of standing in Charlottetown and Queensley. "'If you refer to them—' "'I do not need to do that,' said Thomas Gordon quietly. "'I know more of you than you think, Master. "'I know your father well by reputation, and I have seen him.' "'I know you are a rich man's son, whatever your whim in teaching a country school may be. Since you have kept your own counsel about your affairs, I supposed you didn't want your true position generally known, and so I have held my tongue about you. I know no ill of you, master, and I think none, now that I believe you were not beguiling Kilmeny to meet you unknown to her friends of set purpose. But all this doesn't make you a suitable friend for her, sir.' IT MAKES YOU ALL THE MORE UNSUITABLE. THE LESS SHE SEES OF YOU, THE BETTER. ERIC ALMOST STARTED TO HIS FEET IN AN INDIGNANT PROTEST, BUT HE SWIFTLY REMEMBERED THAT HIS ONLY HOPE OF WINNING KILMENY LAY IN BRINGING THOMAS GORDON TO ANOTHER WAY OF THINKING. HE HAD GOT ON BETTER THAN HE HAD EXPECTED SO FAR. HE MUST NOT NOW JEOPARDISE WHAT HE HAD GAINED BY RASHNESS OR IMPATIENCE." "'Why do you think so, Mr. Gordon?' he asked, regaining his self-control with an effort. "'Well, plain speaking is best, master. If you were to come here and see Kilmeny often, she'd most likely come to think too much of you. I mistrust there's some mischief done in that direction already. Then, when you went away, she might break her heart, for she is one of those who feel things deeply. She has been happy enough.' "'I know folks condemn us for the way she has been brought up, "'but they don't know everything. "'It was the best way for her, all things considered. "'And we don't want her made unhappy, Master.' "'But I love your niece, and I want to marry her, "'if I can win her love,' said Eric steadily. "'He surprised them out of their self-possession at last. "'Both started, and looked at him "'as if they could not believe the evidence of their ears. "'Marry her?' "'Mary Kilmeny!' exclaimed Thomas Gordon incredulously. "'You can't mean it, sir. "'Why, she is dumb. "'Kilmeny is dumb.' "'That makes no difference in my love for her, "'although I deeply regret it for her own sake,' answered Eric. "'I can only repeat what I have already said, Mr. Gordon. "'I want Kilmeny for my wife.' "'The older man leaned forward and looked at the floor in a troubled fashion.' drawing his bushy eyebrows down and tapping the calloused tips of his fingers together uneasily he was evidently puzzled by this unexpected turn of the conversation and in grave doubt what to say what would your father say to all this master he queried at last i have often heard my father say that a man must marry to please himself said eric with a smile if he felt tempted to go back on that opinion, I think the sight of Kilmeny would convert him. But after all, it is what I say that matters in this case, isn't it, Mr. Gordon? I am well educated and not afraid of work. I can make a home for Kilmeny in a few years, even if I have to depend entirely on my own resources. Only give me the chance to win her. That is all I ask. I don't think it would do, Master said Thomas Gordon, shaking his head. "'Of course, I dare say you—you—he tried to say love, but Scotch Reserve baulked stubbornly at the terrible word. You think you like Kilmeny now, but you are only a lad, and lads' fancies change.' "'Mine will not,' Eric broke in vehemently. "'It is not a fancy, Mr. Gordon. It is the love that comes once in a lifetime, and once only. I may be but a lad, but I know that Kilmeny is the one woman in the world for me.' There can never be any other. Oh, I'm not speaking rashly or inconsiderately. I have weighed the matter well, and looked at it from every aspect. And it all comes to this. I love Kilmeny, and I want what any decent man, who loves a woman truly, has the right to have—the chance to win her love in return. Well, Thomas Gordon drew a long breath that was almost a sigh. Maybe— "'If you feel like that, master, I don't know. "'There are some things it isn't right to cross.' "'Perhaps we oughtn't. "'Janet, woman, what shall we say to him?' "'Janet Gordon had hitherto spoken no word. "'She had sat rigidly upright on one of the old chairs "'under Margaret Gordon's insistent picture, "'with her knotted, toil-worn hands "'grasping the carved arms tightly, "'and her eyes fastened on Eric's face.' At first their expression had been guarded and hostile, but as the conversation proceeded they lost this gradually, and became almost kindly. Now, when her brother appealed to her, she leaned forward and said eagerly, "'Do you know that there is a stain on Kilmeny's birth, Master?' "'I know that her mother was the innocent victim of a very sad mistake, Miss Gordon. I admit no real stain where there was no conscious wrongdoing.' though, for that matter, even if there were, it would be no fault of Kilmeny's, and would make no difference to me, as far as she is concerned. A sudden change swept over Janet Gordon's face, quite marvellous in the transformation it wrought. Her grim mouth softened, and a flood of repressed tenderness glorified her cold grey eyes. "'Well, then,' she said, almost triumphantly, "'since neither that—' nor her dumbness seems to be any drawback in your eyes, I don't see why you should not have the chance you want. Perhaps your world will say she is not good enough for you, but she is, she is, this half defiantly. She is a sweet and innocent and true-hearted lassie. She is bright and clever, and she is not ill-looking. Thomas, I say let the young man have his will." "'Thomas Gordon stood up, as if he considered the responsibility off his shoulders and the interview at an end. "'Very well, Janet, woman, since you think it is wise. "'And may God deal with him as he deals with her. "'Good evening, Master. "'I'll see you again, and you are free to come and go as suits you. "'But I must go to my work now. "'I left my horses standing in the field.' "'I will go up and send Kilmeny down,' said Janet quietly." She lighted the lamp on the table and left the room. A few minutes later Kilmeny came down. Eric rose and went to meet her eagerly, but she only put out her right hand with a pretty dignity, and while she looked into his face she did not look into his eyes. "'You see, I was right after all, Kilmeny,' he said, smiling. "'Your uncle and aunt haven't driven me away. On the contrary, they have been very kind to me, and they say I may see you whenever and wherever I like.' She smiled and went over to the table to write on her slate. "'But they were very angry last night and said dreadful things to me. I felt very frightened and unhappy. They seemed to think I had done something terribly wrong. Uncle Thomas said he would never trust me out of his sight again. I could hardly believe it when Aunt Janet came up and told me you were here and that I might come down. She looked at me very strangely as she spoke, but I could see that all the anger had gone out of her face.' she seemed pleased and yet sad. But I am glad they have forgiven us. She did not tell him how glad she was, and how unhappy she had been over the thought that she was never to see him again. Yesterday she would have told him all frankly and fully, but for her yesterday was a lifetime away, a lifetime in which she had come into her heritage of womanly dignity and reserve, the kiss which Eric had left on her lips, The words her uncle and aunt had said to her, the tears she had shed for the first time on a sleepless pillow, all had conspired to reveal her to herself. She did not yet dream that she loved Eric Marshall, or that he loved her, but she was no longer the child to be made a dear comrade of. She was, though quite unconsciously, the woman to be wooed and won, exacting with sweet innate pride. HER DUES OF ALLEGIANCE. END OF CHAPTER TWELVE